Good evening, Sportzonians. How's everybody doing out there tonight? I am Mike Agliolaro. I am your host for this is Sports Zone. Recording with you live, like we do each and every week here via the I-95 Sports and Entertainment Radio Network. We got a good show for you tonight. We will be joined by Dave Hastings. Hopefully, either Larry Schmelrose or Eric Pfeiffer is able to make it for a little while. But we got a good show for you tonight. Of course, we are rebroadcast, redistributed through all our various podcasting outlets. So as always, we thank you for joining us no matter how you join us, whether it's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Anchor, Bullhorn. Rate, like, share, subscribe, do all the things. And I'm not going to lie, folks, it is a little bit of a down sports week. Obviously, the sports world's attention was on the NCAA uh, tournament. The final four happened this weekend. Uh, big kerfuffle from the uh, women's side of the tournament with uh, a little bit of controversy in the finals between LSU and Iowa. Caitlin Clark had been the big story for Iowa. Uh, she gets called for a technical foul, uh, whereas the head coach of LSU had been basically coming on the court for a lot of the game. There was even a video clip going around of her being pushed back by the referee and taking a swing at the referee, and she didn't get called for a technical foul. LSU still wins the game by 15 points, but of course the controversy uh, comes from, oh, I, and I'm forgetting her name now. I believe it's Angel Morris. Um, taunting. Caitlin Clark, who doing the John Cena taunt uh, for, uh, I'd say, the better part of the women's tournament there. And, um, you know, uh, the LSU girl, Angel Reese, excuse me, she took flack for maybe taking the uh, taunting a little too far. Um, I didn't necessarily agree with that one. And um, classy move by Clayton, Caitlin Clark, who was defending Angel Reese earlier today in an interview. Uh, So that was kind of the big story there. And then on Monday night, UConn did wind up beating San Diego State in the men's tournament finals. Um, And the biggest story for the men's tournament is that all the number one seeds and number two seeds got knocked out relatively early. And you had a final four where the highest ranked seed from any tier of the tournament was um, the four-seeded UConn, I believe. So we got all that. We'll probably get into that with Dave when he comes on here in a little bit. But while we wait for um, everybody else to kind of join in here, we'll start off the way I start off just about every show when I'm by myself. We'll talk a little Mets baseball. And obviously, baseball season's now underway. Um, First pitch of the season was Thursday. Mets have played five games so far. They get eight straight games to start the season, so that's always fun. Um, did pretty good in Miami taking on the Marlins. They won three out of four there. They got absolutely hammered every way possible Monday against the Brewers. They got destroyed 10 nothing. So they got two more games to go against them, and then they come home for their home opener on Thursday. Day off Friday, and then they play two over the weekend because, you know, that's that's the baseball schedule when you open the season. Um, listen, I think so far, it's it, obviously you can't gauge a season off of five games. We go through this every year, either really hot starts, really down starts, whatever the hell. Five games is not an indicator of a season. I will say some positives is – the bullpen's held pretty steady so far. I would say there's been a couple blips every here and there, but for the most part, um, that hasn't been the issue. Uh, the starting pitching itself uh, is in, I don't want to say it's in uh, disarray thus far, but obviously before the season opened on Thursday, we found out that Justin Verlander 
will be going is on the disabled, uh, the injured list um, with pain in his, uh, I don't really know how, how they described it. It's like the armpit area, something like that. Supposedly he's still soft pitching. So he's not exactly ramping it up, but he's not exactly uh, restraining himself. No ligament damage. The hope is he's back in a week or two. Um, so we have that. So David Peterson, who was put into action uh, when Quintana went down, and now Tyler McGill started Friday and Saturday for the Mets, and they did not do terrible. I will say I think Peterson is who he is. Uh, all the pitchers are kind of prone to the big innings, if I'm being honest here. But Peterson acquitted himself pretty well. He gave up like eight hits or something. Um, a couple walks in there. Only one run, though. So he mitigated the, da- the damage. McGill mitigated the damage himself. Um, so they hopefully they're able to continue as needed. You know what I mean? If Verlander comes back middle of April... Um, and McGill has a couple more decent starts, we could be okay. Uh, I think you know what you're going to get with both those guys, though. It's not going to be great. It's not going to be terrible. Peterson's problem, like I said, is the big inning, and speaking of what could have been a big inning was Kodai Senga's first start on American soil uh, in a big league game uh, with Sunday. Had a very shaky first inning. Uh, I believe he gave up two hits, two walks, bases loaded at one point. Uh, but then he gets his ghost fork working, and he only gave up one hit and one walk for the rest of the game, if I'm not mistaken. He pitched five and two, five and a third. And like I said, once he got once he got settled in after getting the bases loaded in the first inning, he was fine. Thankfully, took till the fifth batter to get his first out of the game, though. Um, but this is what happens when you usually when you bring a pitcher from Japan over, there's going to be struggles. So I think the fact that he was able to, you know, recover the way he did and then soldier through five and a third innings, I thought that was a good sign. The lineup is the lineup. You know, when um, Diaz went down, my brother, Chris, said that he felt that one of the keys to the Mets being successful this season was being able to score four or five runs a game. And at one point, and I, I didn't do this last season, but there was like a, a statistic in the season that the Mets were bad when they were able when they were able to score like four runs a game. They had like an over 700 winning percentage or whatever the hell it was. So if they're able to do that. They should be fine. But the problem is you look at the three wins and then you look at the two losses. And in those two losses that the Mets have had, they scored a total of two runs. And in each of the three Met wins, they've scored more than four runs every time. So the consistency with the lineup is going to be a problem this season. And I will say this, Darren Ruff was the one that all the Met fans wanted off the team. And we got our wish. Darren Ruff is off the team. The problem is, in my opinion, that puts Daniel Vogelbach on the chopping block. And I like Vogelbach, but I've been hearing from guys like Sal Licata and Brandon Tierney, and I'm not going to pretend that these guys are experts any step of the way there. They're not. They're not wrong, though, when they say, what exactly has Vogelbach done to earn his place on the team? Now, he had a good second half of the season after the Mets acquired him last year. But that's that's been a little while ago. That's, that's a little while ago. It is time for what have you done for me lately. And with Brett Beatty killing the ball in AAA, Vientos actually, you know, doing decently, and Mauricio having put himself on the radar with the spring that he had, I really am curious how much rope Guys like Vogelbach and guys like Tommy Pham. I know he started off pretty good. Uh, he's he, Him and Canna kind of supplied all the offense for a couple games there. So Pham's been fine. The catcher Narvez has, has been okay, I would say. I just wonder how much rope these guys get. 
because they the one thing this front office has shown over the last couple of years with releasing Robinson Cano last April and releasing Darren Ruff before the excuse me before the season started, they're going to have quick hooks if they have to. So I wonder, and it also depends on if they are playing the service time manipulation game with Brett Beatty. Because he's the guy I think everybody is unanimous in thinking should be on this team right now. And they wanted him to work on his defense or whatever. Whatever the tagline was that they put out there, I'm curious to see if this lineup can't get on track by the end of April, if they are going to say, screw the service time, it's time to bring them up. Because that's the good thing about having all these guys ready to go to the surface. And as much as I still say, Vientos and Mauricio should be the guys you look to trade to get a relief pitcher in that bullpen who can, nobody's going to be Edwin Diaz, but at least kind of bridge the gap and take the pressure off the other guys. If you're not going to go that route, why are you leaving these guys down in AAA unless you don't believe in them? Because... I said last week, if this season gets off to a bad start, shit can go real bad real fast because you got a whole rotation full of 30-something pitchers, 30-something-year-old pitchers. Scherzer himself, I I did not end very strongly on uh, opening day. Uh, I believe he gave up a three-run home run towards the end of it. You got a lot of things that can go wrong with this team, and if if they can't get off to a good start, it's going to be a long season. You got these guys down there. You have the ability to do it. Do it quickly. And with that, we're going to try this again. Dave Hastings is here tonight. Dave, how you doing there? What do they always say, Mike? Third time's a charm, right? Right. Right. All right. Let's get. Let's 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 get past the pleasantries here. So as <laughs> we we tried to do before. Um, NCAA tournament. I gave a little bit of um, a rundown, at least from my end. I know you were talking about the final four on the men's side there, and I'll let you continue to do that. But I think what kind of eclipsed the men's tournament was what happened Sunday on the ladies side of the tournament. And I'm curious if you saw any of that. Well, yeah, I mean, and and I know it's just like overall, first and foremost, congrats to LSU. Uh, congrats to the young lady that everybody's, you know, for some reason judging for doing the same thing that her counterpart did. Um, Angel Reese. Yeah, like, I mean, but overall, LSU was just dominant. They were the better team. They deserved to win, and they won. That's Mm. really what it really boils down to. Um, It shows you that one person can't do everything. Um, And, yeah. So, uh, but overall, I mean, props to the women, 9.9 million viewers. Um, I'm pretty sure they're going to end up beating the men's national championship game. Um, and just overall impressive by LSU and, and uh, the girl on, uh, was it Iowa State? Caitlin Clark. Caitlin Clark. Yeah, that girl is a beast. So, I mean, overall, I thought, it, you know, it was, fun. It was a good game. But LSU was clearly the better team, and uh, that came to fruition as the uh, game went on. Mm. The one thing that I think Iowa had reason to be upset about, and I, I totally agree with you when it comes to the taunting, I do think them comparing what Angel Reese did to what Caitlin Clark think, I, I do think there's differences in it. I do think an argument can be made that she took it too far. What I will say is this is sports. Taunting happens. Caitlin Clark came out earlier today and defended Reese for what she did and said, listen, we're all competing here. It is what it is. I taunt, she taunts, she congratulated her. Classy. I don't, I think, I do think that got blown legitimately out of proportion. What I will say is for Caitlin Clark to get called on a technical foul, when she just, I guess she should have handed the ball to the referee, but instead she like lightly tossed it out of bounds and she gets a technical for that. And that coach, Kim 
Mulkey or whatever the hell her last name is with the Ric Flair looking robes. Looks like Ric Flair and Macho Man threw up and had a baby or whatever on her. Um, her antics on the sideline coming on the court, the ref, the, the one clip that went around, the referee's trying to push her back and she like takes a swing at him and no technical on her. That was a little ridiculous for me. And as much as I congratulate the LSU players, I I think it sucks that she's the coach that won. I mean, yeah, there there uh, there was a questionable moment or two, I guess you could say. Mm. Um, but overall, I mean, even with like some of those misses, like that was LSU's game basically halfway through the. Uh, the first, uh, second quarter, um, and, and it was theirs to lose, and and God, for, they definitely did not lose that game. They held on to the lead. They contained Clark. Um, but yeah, like I mean, look, I, I think what's awesome, the big picture, awesome part of this whole situation, though, is mm-hmm. we're two days removed from the women's national championship. We're one, not even twenty four hours removed from the men's national championship. And we're still spending more time talking about the women than the men. And I think that's, that's all. That's very true. Yes. And good for them. As, as always, though, we are talking about it. Unfortunately, there's certain things that have kind of come out. And I'm sure you've seen some of the things on Twitter. It's, it sucks that that's the way that it's got to come out. But, you know, some I guess no press is bad press, right? Not when it comes down to drawing attention to women's sports, because uh, a lot of a lot of people forget they're actually really damn good at what they do. Mm. Yeah, I, understand I agree. Men, you know, I understand men versus women in, in most sports isn't really a fair competition just due to the build of, uh, naturally. Um, but I'll tell you right now, there's like Gayla Clark could probably uh, probably d up and and outscore you know a couple guys that get to wear an nba jersey and collect an nba contract true not that it's the same thing but i know she'd kick my ass in basketball oh i wouldn't even i wouldn't even step on the court i'd be like you want to play me you're paying me because the embarrassment needs to be worth it somehow yep i peaked at i peaked at basketball talent in eighth grade just see it you missed it ah too bad it's gone it's never coming back uh, anyway, yeah, I wasn't far behind you. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. You've always looked more athletic than me. So I thought you had a little bit longer there, but well, I might, I might've, if I didn't stop playing, but I stopped playing after freshman year. And then like, mm. you know, I, I played pickup ball in my late teens and, you know, through my mid twenties. But at this point, if you ask me to run a five on five full court game, I'd last about 30 seconds in until I'd asked to be subbed out because I couldn't breathe or my new knee blew out. Mm. So, you know, <laughs> it, 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 um, I just had a funny thought in my mind. The only way we'd have a chance at winning a basketball game five on five with our collection of talent is if we just let Eric just start attacking everybody. Yeah, go ahead. Use up your five fouls in the first 10 minutes. Go ahead. Now we got a get shot. Eric, get, get Eric the ball down in the low post. He'll, he'll put some people up. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, anyway. Um, all right. So now we'll switch to the men's side. I know you were talking about uh, San Diego State's victory Saturday, I think. Yeah, that game, buzzard beater at the end. That was, uh, that was a good defensive stop. Led to a buzzard beater. Big win. I mean, I hate to say it, but everybody knew after they won they weren't going to beat Connecticut. But mm. no. still, hell, hell, of a, hell of a run for them. I mean, I think they were a five seed. So something like that. I, I I think UConn was the highest seed remaining by the time we got to the final four at the four seed because everybody else was gone. That part was crazy to me. But go ahead, Dave. Yeah, no, I mean, and that was the thing. I watched the beginning of the game, and, and there was a, a stretch of like six minutes where San Diego State didn't score, and UConn started to pull away, and I shut the game off. I mean, a 9 o'clock tip-off, that was one reason. But besides that, like you just could tell. Once UConn got up by 10, I didn't. San Diego State didn't have what it, they needed to be able to come back. Mm. 
Now, let me ask you something, because I kind of feel like some of the excitement, because like you said, I think going into that game, UConn was the presumptive favorite. I think a lot, and I'm curious your thoughts here, I think a lot of the intrigue with this year's tournament, like everybody loves the upset, and I saw someone tweet this on Twitter earlier today, so it's kind of in my head. I think everybody likes the upsets in the early rounds, but when you get to the later rounds, if the upsets continue, kind of takes some of the intrigue out of the actual finals. Yeah, I I will agree with that. Um, And that's the problem, right? Like, I mean, it's also partially why they don't want to expand the NFL college football playoffs, right? Like, they don't want to let some of those teams that might be able to get to a championship game and then all of a sudden championship games, you know, 52 to 17. Mm. Yeah. And the funny thing is, didn't we kind of had that this year with the four team tournament? Uh, no, I mean, the games, the first two games were really good games and the championship game was decent. It wasn't as good as you might've hoped for. Mm. I should have clarified because uh, the championship, for some reason, I remember that being lopsided, but um. So my fault. Uh, but what was I going to say? Um, here's my question. I, I don't know how much you were following college basketball this season. I know I wasn't really following it. I've heard UConn, since they won the tournament, everybody's saying this was a dominant season for them. But they entered the tournament as a four seed. Is that really a dominant season? No, dominant seasons, you get a one seed. Yes, Yes, thank you, thank you. All right. Yeah. So yeah, you're, um, you're for that. Cool, cool. All right. Did you have anything else you wanted to throw in college basketball wise? Um, they released the weight, you know, way too early. Um, early college ranking, top ten rankings, or whatever. And yes. I, this isn't really anything that like I like that needs to be like talked about. But like, I found it surprising that you know UNC last year was a top ten, top five uh, ranking to go into the college season. Don't even make the tournament. So this year, they're not even uh, ranked in the top ten going in, even though most of their uh, starters are coming back for uh, another season. Mm. That is. Um... That is a little surprising. Probably got reason for a gripe. I mean, I know I saw John Feinstein. Uh, he had put his out his uh, two early rankings, and I know he had UConn at the number one spot, which I think it's pretty easy to put the team that just won the college basketball championship in the number one spot. And I'm not taking anything away from Feinstein because I know everybody raves about him. He's been on part of my take. I heard him on uh, the fan this weekend, but – yeah, too early rankings are just that. Too early. Exactly. It's like with the NFL draft coming up and all these mock drafts coming out. You're like, you guys literally have no idea what's going to happen. And the guys that are, you know, at least, you know, one or two of the guys that go in the top 10 won't get to a second contract in the league. Some guys that are going to go in like the sixth or seventh round are going to turn into a Hall of Famer. Like, it's just. It, it, it's so funny to me why, like how obsessed and into these mock drafts people get. And I'm just sitting there like, you have no idea what's going to happen. Like literally mm-hmm. no fucking clue. So like for all, you know, the, the Packers get the jets to cave and trade the 13th pick. And all of a sudden that completely flips what that pick can be. And then the rest of the draft gets all thrown off or, you know, you get some team early in the second round that trades back up into the mid teens and, takes a guy that people thought would fall to the twenties and and now that all met like I mean that's the only thing that makes the draft even exciting is is the things that happen that you don't see or expect to happen and mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah Mel Kuyper going over twenty on his picks yes great great fun I love Mel Kuyper but I always wind up seeing the videos what was it 2021 he missed like 10 picks in a row yeah like, yeah stop it yeah I agree I agree all right let's move on here we'll go to the NBA a little bit and and I wanted to bring this up here because they ratified 
uh, new collective bargaining agreement, which I think is going to take them through the rest of this decade. So good on them for getting this done early. I think they pushed, I think the deadline to get the deal done was Friday. They pushed it back a day, but they only needed a few hours to come to an agreement. And I know already I, I saw something Draymond Green compla- complaining about the deal. It's a bad deal. We don't have to go through the whole thing. The, there's a few things that stood out to me, though. One of the main ones here. So they've been talking about this for a few years now, and I thought this was a bad idea, or at the very least a dumb idea <coughs> when it first came up. There's going to be an in-season tournament, likely as part of next season's schedule. And some of the details, the first round of the tournament will be part of the regular season with the top eight teams advancing to a single elimination event in December. The final four is going to be played at a neutral site. Las Vegas has reportedly been receiving a t- uh, consideration for that. NBA teams are now expected to initially have 80 regular season games on the schedule with the leftover games for the teams that don't make the single elimination portion of the in-season tournament. Those would be scheduled at a later date, while the two teams that make the final of the tournament would end up playing 83 games. Prize money for the in-season tournament would be 500000 per player. And I, again, I want to hear from you. My biggest issue with this, what is the point? Is, is there a buy in, in the actual playoffs? Is there something that, you know, holds some power for the actual playoffs? Or is this just to break up the so-called monotony of the regular season? Thoughts? I think it's to break up the monotony of the regular season. I think that that's the only thing that makes any sense. And even with that, I really don't feel like this makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's a, their way. Uh, how do you say it? Like, I think it's their way to kind of try and keep people invested during, you know, the 82 game stretch. Um, but it's like, it, it has like no real bearing on like the playoffs, if I remember correctly. Mm. So it's like, what's the true meaning behind it? You know what I mean? Yeah. No, absolutely. And here's my thing. And I think a lot of people are going to be in a, I believe it when I'll see it type atmosphere. I think you can agree with me when I say the issue isn't necessarily getting the fans to be invested throughout the regular season. The issue is getting the players to be invested throughout the regular season. How does this do anything to change that? Yeah, and not to mention, I saw something where, like, um, for players to earn, like... uh, 500,000 per player. No, like the All-Star game and... uh, things like that like they have to play at least 80 percent of games or something like that oh yeah um here it is players need to appear in a minimum of 65 games to be eligible to earn postseason awards such as mvp rookie of the year all nba and one report indicated that there are conditions attached to the minimum games requirement though it's unclear at this point what the conditions will be go ahead yeah and i mean you're talking also something where you're like okay so they'll figure out just the right way to do it. But if a guy gets seriously injured, I guess that gives you an exception. But then again, usually guys that get seriously injured aren't up for those major voting, um, you know, those major awards anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know, man. And honestly, I don't think a lot of these players really care about that stuff. I think most of them care about having a long career. Yeah. Oh. I think that they want multiple contracts. They want to walk away saying they made a couple hundred million dollars while playing in the NBA. Like, I think they care more about that than they do individual awards and shit like that. So I don't know, man. I, I just like, I, it always makes me think of uh, the one, po- uh, one thing I saw where um, in Michael Jordan's final season at 30 something, whatever played all 82 games didn't miss a single game like and it's just like one of those things where it's like it's just such a different mentality in today's league and look i get it they have more science and more facts behind things like 
So it gives them that flexibility. I don't know. But, yeah, the, the, the midseason tournament, like, I think it sounds stupid. Okay? <laughs> that, that is, like, my opinion right now. I think it sounds stupid. But yeah, who knows? Maybe, you know, this season they do it and it's actually really entertaining. Like, who the hell? So, I mean, I'm just like, that's my opinion right now. But I, I'm going to make sure that it's clear that I will. I am going to reserve the right to change that that thought process if it is entertaining. Sure, sure. I get you on that. I will say this. I don't know, and I, I don't remember where you originally stood on the idea of the play-in tournament uh, when it got introduced a couple years ago. I know I've always kind of felt like it was a dumb idea, and I really don't I, I don't really feel like too much has really changed my mind off of that. Yeah, we've had some interesting matchups. I know the one year that the Warriors and the, the Lakers were both in the play-in tournament, and I think that was just – that was just intriguing because you don't expect to see those teams miss the playoffs, let alone need an, a play-in tournament to make th- the eight teams from yeah. the conference. So, like, that part, I, I get that. But at the end of the day, I don't really feel like that's done much to win me over. So, uh, take that for what it's worth. Well, yeah, and, and all things considered, it's it's going to boil down to how, how does it actually execute? How does it actually unfold? Yes. I do think it needs the big stars of the league, though. I will say that. I think if you run into a scenario like with LeBron and Anthony Davis missing all the games again next season and say their team was in the tournament and they're not there, I think that's becoming – that I forget becoming that's been a problem in that a fan wants to watch a game that's uh with the teams that got the superstars and the superstars aren't necessarily playing well now i get lebron's old and everything anthony davis is anthony davis you know Kawhi leonard Kawhi leonard and paul george having their injuries and i think george is now out for at least a, what he did another acl or something right uh they're still not sure Oh, okay. They're still assessing to see what they can do. Yeah. But like Durant's another injury, the whole thing with Kyrie and Luca in Dallas. And now I've seen articles that Dallas is thinking of shutting them down for the season. Like I, I get it at this point of the season if there's nothing to play for. But if you have that mindset in this play-in tournament or uh, in-season tournament, rather, you're not getting it off on the right foot. Agreed. Yeah, and that's going to be the thing, right? Does this in-season tournament have some of your stars and big names playing in it? How do players react to it? Because with their, you know, platforms, they can have a huge impact on how things are. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it's one of the things where there's there's a lot of factors that are going to impact this. And, look, the one thing I will simply say is that at least they're trying, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's the one thing you can – you want to ask for, right? Or – are they at least trying to move the, you know, make the league more entertaining? Are they, you know, like, what are they, if they're doing those things, then like, at least you can ask for that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'll say that much. Yep. And I know people have been down on Adam silver for the last year. I think the, the whole situation with the Phoenix suns owner, kind of was was a catalyst for that one but the one thing about silver in his tenure he's not only has in my opinion he's done for the players i think he's done for the players more than any other commissioner in any other sport currently and i'll i'll reserve the rights to include hockey on that depending on whether or not schmelrose would agree with me on that one this right here like he loves the game with someone like Adele or Rob Manfred, you, you don't think they love the game. Him, I believe, loves the game. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Some of the other uh, points here uh, that have been released for the collective bargaining agreement, they're adding a, uh, a, ta- a second tax apron 
So right now, at the beginning of the season, the tax line was $150 million. Tax apron was at $157 million. Teams above the tax uh, apron aren't permitted to acquire players via sign and trade, use more than the taxpayer portion of the mid-level exception, or use the biannual exception. In the new CBA, with the second tax at tax apron, it's going to be $17.5 million above the tax line. And teams above the second apron face a new set of restrictions, including no access to the taxpayer mid-level exception. They're not able to trade away first-round picks seven years down the road. They won't be able to sign free agents on the buyout market. They won't be permitted to send cash out in trades, and they won't be able to take more take back more salary in a trade than they send out. Um, one report states that when the changes uh, that the changes will be eased in, it's unclear whether all of these restrictions will be in place by the start of free agency this offseason. So you hear that? I mean, I, they got to get away from letting teams be able to trade draft picks seven years out. So anything to encourage that is a good thing. The other, the other points you hear there. What are your thoughts when you hear that, Dave? Well, I think it's a good thing as well because it's one of those things where you're like, hey, like who the hell knows where things are going to be at in seven years? Like, yeah. I mean, NFL teams will do like what two or three years out. I even think hockey teams only do like two or three years out, like at the most. Yeah, yeah. Like you've got to have like a a limit where it's like, hey, like we don't know how. Like how the team that made trades that draft pick might not even exist anymore in two seven years, right? Like. They could be in a different state. They could be completely deleted and replaced by a, an expansion franchise. Like, you have no idea. Like, years is freaking ridiculous. Yeah, and I thought you said last week you thought Dan Snyder was going to be out by the end of April. <laughs> yeah. Come on. So, I mean, there's a lot, lot out there to make you say, okay, like, let's pump the brakes here, people. Mm. So, I, I, I like that. Yeah. But let me ask you something, and you might know this one a little better than I do. What team – there's only two teams I can think of that are, like, ridiculously over the NBA salary cap. The biggest one being the Golden State Warriors, and I think the Bucks went over it last year. Are there really so many teams ridiculously over the salary cap thresholds that – stuff like this is necessary or is this just a message that seems like the Warriors it's time for you to break up? I have to be honest. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know enough about salary cap situations and things like that to be able to really kind of, uh, you know, speak on that in an at an intelligent level. Um, but what I will say is that the more parity you have, the better off we are. The more competitive teams you got, the better off we are. The Knicks being competitive is a good thing. The Bulls, the Lakers, the, the Nets, um, the Mavericks, the Heat, you know, your big market teams, the more competitive they are, the better off we are. Mm. All right. Just to kind of answer that question here. Oh, that's not going to do it. All right. I wanted team salaries. I'm getting player salaries, and I'm feeling very upset. Anyway. Um, other things, and th those are really the main highlights that I saw of the collective bargaining agreement. Um, there's going to be cap smoothing. So rather than a spike in the salary cap, like in 2016, the year Durant signed, they're going to do it no more than percent per league, league year, uh, because that 2016, that was a 32% spike. They don't want to do that again. Value of the mid-level exception is going to receive a 7.5% bump. Uh, luxury tax brackets previously, previously at $5 million intervals above the tax line now increase at the same rate of the salary cap. Oh, that's not bad. Um, teams will be uh, permitted to carry three players on two-way contracts instead of two. Players signing a veteran contract extension is now allowed to receive over 140% of his previous salary in the first year. Of 120%. The big one of this that I saw, where is this? And I guess this is going to come into play because the Cavaliers traded for um, Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell. They already have one guy with a max contract and they got another one possibly on the way. 
teams no longer face restrictions on how many players on designated rookie or designated veteran contracts they can carry. Um, we talked a little bit about the um, awards and the restrictions on that. Players who participate in the draft combine are required to undergo physical exams. Uh, results will be okay. That doesn't really mean anything. Players no longer will be tested for marijuana use. Players will be allowed to invest in NBA and WNBA franchises via a private equity firm selected by the NBPA. Individual players won't be permitted to directly invest in NBA franchises, but the association can do it on behalf of all players. That's, yeah. Players are allowed to promote or invest in companies involved with sports betting and cannabis. However, any involvement with sports betting companies will require complete separation from the gambling component. And team and league revenue licensing uh, will be added to the NBA's basketball-related income for the first time. Anything here stand out to you? Or anything that I didn't bring up stand up? Honestly, to me, I'm just happy they're not going to test them for pot anymore. I, think that, I thought that was yeah. one of the things. Like, you've got to be kidding me. Like... Mm-hmm. So I uh, that that one stood out to me obviously, and and I think overall it's one of those things that I think every league should be doing. I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of the guys, like a lot of these guys, use that instead of some of these opioids and other painkillers they give them. Okay. Um. I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, I think it's well past time for that one to be relaxed a little bit. Um, you, you've heard athletes in every sport talk about how they believe in the healing effects of marijuana. So let them do it. The gambling one is the one that I, I, I think both can be good. But I also think that the, the gambling idea, the, they're not going to be totally separated from the gambling side of the operation. I think that's only natural. Well, yeah, and that's a, that's a fine line that you're trying to ride. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's definitely one where completely separate almost sounds impossible. Mm-hmm. And I, I will say this because I don't I don't listen to this show very often, but Bussin' with the Boys, uh, Barstool Sports Podcast is uh, Will Compton, Taylor Luan. Will Compton tries out every year, but unfortunately he doesn't make he hasn't made the team in a couple of years. Um, kind of like me and when it came to baseball when I was in high school. But uh, anyway, um, Tyler Luan. Uh, offensive lineman for the Titans. Pat Beverly now does podcasts with Barstool Sports. Now, it's not investing with a gambling company, which Barstool has now become a gambling company. Um, But Will Compton feels like he had a deal with the Atlanta Falcons, but they wanted him to sever all ties with Barstool. Lawan thinks that's going to keep him out of the NFL this season. I don't see any scenario where uh, a player has an opportunity to do something for his own brand. Like, you know, we were talking about Pat Beverly a couple weeks ago there, Dave. And, um, you know, very entertaining guy. Got some good qualities. Definitely seems like he can carry his podcast. And a few clips I've heard definitely support that. Compton and Luan have been, they're great on their podcast. I haven't listened to a lot of it, but some of the interviews I've seen with them, they're very good. It's only natural for a player to want to, in, you know, increase his brand visibility and do business with a popular media company. And it's natural for a player to want to do that. It's natural for the league, whichever it is, to see this and be like, this might not be the best idea because it's a gambling company. Right or wrong, you know, it's it's going to be an issue there, you know? Yeah. And it's, like I said, it's it's just a fine line. Like, I mean, how mm-hmm. much leeway are you going to give them? How much, like, you know, that, and that's where you kind of, it's, it's going to be a dangerous game they play, and they're going to put certain 
people in awkward spots and other people in bad spots and then probably look the way for other people and it, it could really cause some problems so that, that's going to be a very interesting one to see how they handle it mm-hmm. yeah all right anything else about the cba standouts here any other thoughts uh no nah, not at this time okay <laughs> like prosecutor no not not at this time <laughs> all right ada hastings there all right um <laughs> how many uh how many games you got left in the nba regular season three for most teams oh wow okay yeah, so when do those week next week Okay. No, by the end of this All week, right. playoffs start next week. The play-in tournament starts, I think, on uh, Sunday. Oh. oh, okay. All right. Yeah, like the Knicks have, four, a... Knicks have four games left. The Bulls have three. I just got that now. Yeah, it helps when you know how to do math. Okay. Um. Yeah. They got the fifth seed. I don't think it's – in the realm of possibilities that they catch the Cavaliers in three games. They, no. they're three games back. I don't think that one's happening. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're going to have a, a, the Knicks first Cavs with the Cavs having home court advantage. Uh, uh, but the Knicks, the Knicks can beat that Cavs team in seven. With Donovan Mitchell. Interesting. Is Randall's injury supposed to keep him out of the playoffs? Because I know he hurt. I can't remember what the injury was, but I think he the prognosis. Um, they were predicting two weeks he was going to miss something like that, and I think the injury yeah. happened last week. Yeah, so it could end up he might miss game one. If they win game one, they might hold him out for game two because obviously your goal in the best of sevens to split the away series. So if they can go, if they can win game one, they might hold them out uh, for game two and let them come back for game three. Uh, if they lose game one, they might bring them back for game two. It, it, it also depends on the scheduling of the playoffs. Because remember, they stretch the playoffs off from middle of April to the end of June. So like yeah. you're gonna ha- you're gonna have two two three days in between games when they're traveling. You'll probably have at least one in between games when they're not. Mm. So, it actually works in their favor that if they split that, if they split that series, the first two in Cleveland, then they're in a really good spot to be able to give him a little extra time and and have him come back in Game Three. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. The that's one of the maddening things about the NBA playoffs. Like I know it's been a two month stress basically. Since we were kids, like I know that one. I remember in you know, in, in, uh, young kid watching 92. Oh, god, now we gotta go through this 92 93 New York Knicks and during the playoffs against those other guys, doubles. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks. I set you up there. You're welcome. Um, and, and yes, it goes from April to June. We know this, but I think what's become a bigger problem out of this, it just there's a lot of injuries in any playoffs, truthfully, as a Met fan. I know this all too well. Um, but it just seems like the injuries in basketball, obviously, is more physical game. They, you know, it, it'll be an injury you'll hear, you'll recognize from, you know, you and me, diehard sports fans. We do fantasy sports. We hear the different injuries. And on our heads, we've heard these injuries so long that we know the approximate return time or at least have an idea of it. In the playoffs, they always try to compress that down, and it never works out. Look at the Warriors in 2019. I hate that part of the playoffs. Oh, hell, look at the Spurs when Kawhi went down. They they might have won that year. Yeah, I didn't even think of that one. That was a good one. Um, Yeah, they would have won, too. What He stepped on the dude's foot, right? Uh, Zaza. Yeah, Yeah, he he went up for the jump shot when he came down on dude's foot. Debated Big. whether it's dirty or not, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, yeah so. Zaza Pachulia. I remember that. Had him on my fantasy teams a couple times. I actually won championships despite that. Anyway, um, your Bulls. So 
you'd be taking on the Heat in the first round if you guys make the um, playing tournament? It all depends on how, um, where they end up seated in the playoff tournament. Yeah, because you got the 10th seed right now, and I see the Heat have the 7th seed. So is it 7, 10, 8, 9? It's 7, 10, 8, 9, but Chicago actually plays Atlanta tonight. If they win, they oh. would tend to the 8 with two okay. games left. But if they do win tonight, then they lock up at least one of the play-in spots. Mm. So they and Atlanta doesn't have Trey Young playing tonight, so they should win. Ooh. Very nice, very nice for you guys. Yeah, yeah, and that would give them the season series against Atlanta as well. So as long as they have the same record or better, they'd finish above Atlanta. Toronto's a whole another story. So like, yeah, the the play-in tournaments for both sides are really up in the air. The Lakers are actually only half a game out from being a sixth seed and not even being in the play-in tournament. Um, so, yeah, you've got a lot of moving pieces for the play-in tournament. Your top three seeds in each uh, conference are set. Um, in the East, your four and five are set. Um, in the West, you're pretty much set at your four and five. The Warriors fought their way all the way up to the six, but the Lakers could overtake. Like, so yeah, the like I'd say basically the five through the uh, eleven are basically up in the air. Um, but that Let was me, I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, Dave. I, I got a question that I've just been staring at for like ten seconds here. The, weren't the Timberwolves in like fourth place like a month ago? Uh, around then. Yeah, <laughs> they fell off. A, did they fall off a cliff, or did everybody else get hot? They they just had a rough go. Yeah. All right. Sorry to cut you off, man. Go right no, ahead. My man, you are good. All right, cool. Um, okay. So just just about everything except, but like you said, the play-in tournaments up in the air. That is crazy to think about. That after everything with Los Angeles and. You know, we said earlier, LeBron and Anthony Davis missing all the games and everything. The team not being very good when they were there. They fought their way all, all the way up to seven. I do feel like they were they were looking up at the playing tournament about a month ago. So good on them for getting up that, there. That's because uh, they were. Yeah. And the Pelicans are dropping like a brick without Zion, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they just they just fell off. Um <laughs> So yeah, they they just completely fell off. Mm. All right. Um, anything else you want to throw in on basketball here? Oh, I just looked at the time. Yeah, I'm running tight on it. Yep. All right. So I think with that, we'll let you get out of here, Dave. Um, any thoughts on the trailers that have been thrown out the last couple of days? Spider Man. I think Blue Beetle was in there. There was one more. Oh, Secret Invasion. What'd you think? Uh, saw Blue Beetle, thought that looked pretty cool. George Lopez, what a throwback for that. Um, and then the, I didn't see the Spider-Man Secret Invasion looks like it's going to be pretty fucking badass. So I'm excited for that one. And I'm also a big, uh, Samuel L fan. Yeah. I've been looking forward to that one since they first announced it. Cause I like that storyline. I wasn't reading comics at the time. But I've read I've read the summary for that. That sounds like something that I that I've wanted to see for a while. It would be cool if they brought in Daisy from Agents of Shield, but we all know that's probably not going to happen. So let's get over that. Anyway, all right, Dave, we'll let you get out of here for tonight, buddy. Thank you for being with us. Any last words? Uh, no, sorry that it's a, a little bit of a short appearance tonight, but always a pleasure. And uh, until next week. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, thanks for being patient through the technical difficulties. <laughs> have a good Mike. I'll catch you later. Yep. Have a good week, buddy. You right. too, man. Dave Hastings, everybody. All right. There is a possibility Larry Schmelrose will be joining us in a little while. We'll go for a little bit here, but um, if, if he's not on, we're probably going to call it a night ourselves here. Um, to kind of wrap up what I was saying with the Mets before 
It's all about their lineup. Um, obviously, the pitching is going to be issue at various points throughout the season. The bullpen is what it is. Haven't been too bad early on. Carlos Garrasco got shelled yesterday. So the starting pitching may wind up being an issue all season. And the Mets are currently down 2 to nothing to the Milwaukee Brewers. And tonight was Max Scherzer on the mound. <laughs> yeah, Max Scherzer gave up two runs in the first inning. Scherzer gives up a two-run double in the first inning there. Uh, so it looks like now we're in the second. And I, I think I saw the Mets were batting there. Another technical difficulty. Um, the, the lineup's going to be the problem. And if it's going to continue to be the problem, you can't, unfortunately, keep Vogelbach in the lineup if he's not going to pull his weight. Everybody else, unfortunately, this is the way it is. They're more proven than Vogelbach, uh, and they're definitely making a lot more money there. So they're the ones you keep. Unfortunately, he's the one you dump because uh, you only got him for like a million dollars anyway. So cut the bait if you got to. I'm hoping over the next couple of weeks, him along with everybody else starts to get going. But if not, Beatty, Vientos, even Mauricio, they have to be up at some point this season and sooner rather than later. You cannot be waiting until June. I don't care what your salary cap guy tell, or your luxury tax guy told you. Um, put them on a roster if need be. You yeah, you have the ability between Vogelbach spot and um, Tommy Pham and uh, LaCastro, the kid who's the former um, Yankee. He's with them for a little while. Um you have guys you can cut. You, if you're not going to go out and make a trade, the idea of building a pipeline of talent is to be able to use said uh, pipeline of talent. Correct. This is this is the reasons you do that. And if by bringing up guys like Vientos and Beatty, you still have the questions about him that have dogged them uh, throughout their time in the minor leagues. Um, if they're able to prove those doubters wrong for a little while and you don't see them in your future plans, you're making them look pretty good for prospective teams to trade with. Yes. So this seems like a win-win to me plan at the, um, I'd give it a week or two more, but if it really looks like things are about to go off the rails, you've got to cut bait somewhere. And if you're not going outside of the organization to fortify the lineup, which quite frankly, I, I don't know of that many quality hitters really available at non-astronomical prices. And the season is way too early for teams to be looking to buy or sell, you know, wh whatever side of the coin that teams are going to fall on hasn't been decided in April. And you got these three guys there who all had very good showings in spring training. One of which you think, could be your starting third baseman, even though, and there's been plenty out there. You know, the Mets did try to acquire Carlos Correa to play third base. If at this point you're not totally convinced that Beatty is the real thing, why haven't you done anything yet? I think you think there's a chance he does. And that's why you've been reluctant to part with him. Okay. He's got a time to prove it now. All right. And we're in the top of the third there. So I can yell and scream about the Mets lineup all day. I'm not going to do that. Um, give it a few more minutes here for Mr. Fife. But um, what is it? Talk a little pop culture here. Um, like I had asked Dave, uh, they did have some new trailers come out over the last uh, couple days here. It was Secret Invasion. Like I said, fan of this. Fan of the storyline, definitely look, looking forward to it being adapted. Hopefully they don't screw it up, man. It's all different writers than the ones me and Erica talked about uh, when it came to um, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Those writers I don't like. Don't like them. Uh, them or uh, him or the guy who, um, whatchamacallit, did Doctor Strange. So... Yeah, not those guys, thankfully. So that's good. Um, and Samuel Jackson is the man. So to get to watch him play Nick Fury in an extended role 
You know, Eric's always talked about how much he's felt uh, the Hulk has been misused. I'm not necessarily going to say that Nick Fury has been misused in uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What I will say, though, I'd like to see him get more screen time. He's never done more than what a, a certain role called for him to do. But at the end of the day, wouldn't it be nice if that script calls for him to have more to do? That's all. And I feel the same way about the Hulk, truthfully, except I don't know what the hell they did with his storyline with the She-Hulk thing. But, um, yeah, up until that, I didn't really feel like Hulk had been misused. I just feel like you could have made the same argument for him. But anyway, um, so I'm looking forward to that. And then we got Blue Beetle. Uh, Blue Beetle with the kid from Cobra Kai. Jolo... Madura, Madura, I, I don't, I, I'm sorry. Uh, if you hear this, I am sorry. But um, I, I like him in Cobra Kai, the guy who plays um, Miguel. There you go. And uh, good actor, and, you know, Dave brought it up. I, I like George Lopez. I thought that was pretty cool to see him in the movie. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. And the Spider-Man across the, across the multiverse or something, or whatever the hell the tagline of the animated Spider-Man movie sequel is. I don't know. Sorry, folks. Um, I really like the first one. It's my favorite Spider-Man movie. At least now that one's got a tie with No Way Home. But um, looking forward to see what they do with that second one. I just, I re- this movie is not going to be as good as the first one. I already know that. But I just, I just hope it's in any way comparable. To that one because that that would mean something to me because that was a movie that you could tell the studio did not believe in and that's why it didn't really get that much attention upon its release but now like with most things that movie made some money and they like money so now we're gonna see what they do now that they put the whole promotional machine behind it and the problem if they do that is so hope they don't tamper with the script, folks. That's all I'll say on that one. Because um, y'all saw what the hell they did to X-Men 3. Still think he's crazy for defending that one. But, um, so yeah, that, that's really all I've gotten to see. Uh, we talked a little bit about all of us a couple weeks back. Um, so I don't really have too much more there. Um in terms of the pop culture. So, yeah, I will say we might wind up ending after this. Um, Going into the bottom of the third, the Mets just got out to end the the top of the third there. Uh, I'm just going to say this one last time. Yeah, this lineup needs to get its ass in gear and start moving. Because like I said, Fam's been okay. Canna ain't been great, but he he did okay on Saturday, I think. McNeil isn't really going yet. Lindor and Alonzo are definitely not going yet. Marte and Nemo have been okay. They've been decent. Nobody nobody on this team's been great yet. God damn it. I, I don't care about um Getting off to a slow start, but like I said, you really can't get too behind uh, too early here. Um, yeah, between the Braves and the Phillies, man, Eric would always agree with this. I don't think there's any way he don't. The NL East is the division that baseball runs through here, in my opinion. And whether he Mets got to prove they can get there, but between teams like the Braves and the Phillies being in the division before the rebuild started, Washington was in that discussion every year. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Every year, it seems like most years, all three teams are neck and neck for whatever reason, even it's anyone's division until about June or July. But every so often, one of those teams will wind up establishing itself, doing something to break out of the pack, and then they'll go on to this magical run. We've seen Washington have it in 2019. We've seen the Phillies have it. 
couple times in the 2000s. We've seen the Braves do it. We saw them do it in 2021. It'd be really nice if one of those years it was a Met year because it hasn't been one of those since 2006. And even in the year that it could have been last year, it definitely was not. So it'd be nice. And last year was not the, well, he's not for the Braves at the Mets. Last year was the magical run for the Phillies. Now that I think about that. So I've said it before and I'll say it again. 2015, that would that was our magical run. And of course, that didn't end in a championship, whereas it did for those three teams. And even the Marlins got a championship in 2004. And we're still the only ones in the National League East that has not won a World Series this century. If the Mets were to do that, the NL East would be the only division in baseball to have done that have every team won one championship this century. Be really nice if we stopped dragging the cart down on that one. So, yeah, not going to stand here and really do play-by-play of Scherzer pitching right now. God, he needs to get on track. Anyway, everybody needs to, everybody needs to get on track. Well, and we'll just see how it goes. Thank you to everybody for listening out there on all our various podcasting outlets, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Anchor, Bullhorn. No Anchor no more. That's podcast. Um, uh, what is that? That's Spotify for, for Spotify by Anchor. Excuse me. But rate, like, share, subscribe, do all the things. And I'm going to get out of here for tonight. Um, thank you to Dave Hastings for being with us. Shout out to everybody who wasn't here tonight. Um, Larry Schmelrose, Eric Pfeiffer, cousin David, Eric Tressler. Love you guys. And thank you to everybody for listening. I am Mike Aglia Laurel. We will see y'all next week. <laughs>